Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Today, I'm beginning a new message series on the power of the Holy Spirit and how we stand in His power. The Holy Spirit really does matter. And if you're going to build your house, a house that will stand in the storm, it absolutely requires the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit matter in our lives and how do we access His power? My heart has been heavy for you that as the storm continues to blow, that you would stand through the storm. That's why I've been talking about it all year so far. I I had a couple of weeks of a break off, and I'm really grateful for Jeff standing in for me a couple of weeks ago. Jeff, you did a great job uh, on your Sunday morning, kept everybody awake and everything. Good job. and then last week, Ken Can filled in for me, and, and he gave us all the sign language. Remember all the sign language and everything? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, thank you for uh, helping us have a little break on that. But we're back on today talking about standing. My heart for you is that as the storm blows and gets worse and worse, that you would stand. Jesus told us the storm was coming, right? He told us it was coming. He said this in Matthew 7. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes and in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it'll collapse with a mighty crash. And so Jesus tells us the storm is coming. And he tells us the way to deal with the storm. It's not voting your values, although you should always vote your values. It's not grabbing your guns and fighting, although you may have to grab your gun and fight at some point. Jesus doesn't call us to vote or to fight. He says the way that you deal with the storm is you build your house. You build your house. You prepare rather than try to repair what the storm does to your house. And that's my hope for you is that we'll prepare, that we will build our house. And so... I've, I've already been talking about this, and my goal all this year so far is to just inundate you with stuff. So we've tried to give you some resources and everything. I, I did a whole stand message series for the first, I don't know, six or seven weeks of this year, just talking about what that process looks like and how you do that. In fact, I think on your handout, there should be a QR code, and it can take you right to that stand series that I already did at the beginning of of the year because it's so foundational. It's so critical. I hope that you'll at least, if you don't listen to all the rest of it, please take a moment and listen to the first message in that series because that's where I kind of established the whole idea of what we're talking about all year long and the importance of standing and how that happens and what that looks like in your life. 
We've, uh, we've done the crash courses. We did about four weeks of crash courses in, I think, two weeks. <laughs> and so we crammed a lot of good stuff in. Uh, we've given you a bunch of other resources throughout the entire year so far. Uh, we've given you resources to other sermon series and, and other things that we've provided for you. And of course, we've invited everybody to join a life group. This Until Unity study that we're doing is rocking our faces off, am I right? Okay, so two of you love it. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate your support. Um, I'm hearing from you guys all the time about how powerful this book study that we're doing is. It's a study about sanctification. And the author, Francis Chan, positions unity within the body of Christ as the centerpiece, the key piece that makes all the other pieces work together. And it's really been powerful. It's really been rocking our faces off. So you've been doing a great job, a great job really starting to anchor in and to stand. And I just want to continue in this new message series today, talking about building your house and about how you and I will stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I hope this series is really helpful to you. I hope it's really informational and inspirational to you that I hope that you learn a lot. Hope you take good notes because we're gonna be covering a lot of ground about the Holy Spirit over the next several weeks. So I wanna start the whole series off with a question. I'm asking you this question, but I don't want you to answer because I know I know all of y'all are going to have an instant knee-jerk reaction answer to this question, and they're going to be different answers. And so this isn't an answer out loud question. This is a think about it for a minute question. Okay, so I just want you to think about this for a second. Here's the first question. I want to start the whole series off with this, and it's the first blank on your page. Is the Holy Spirit absent from the church today? Is the Holy Spirit absent from the church today? And I look around and I wonder how active the Holy Spirit really is in church today. Why? I look in Galatians and I see this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is present, if the Holy Spirit is active, if the Holy Spirit is doing something in your life, this is what you will look like right here. You will be a person. You and I will be people. We will be a group of people characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, Patience, uh-huh, uneasy laughter, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in the church, in the body of Christ, in me and in you. Is the Holy Spirit absent? Because frankly, I know some of the stats. Our divorce rate is the same as the world's divorce rate. There's no difference. 
our addiction rates, alcoholism, it's the same as the world's alcoholism. No difference. The church's pornography consumption is out of control. There is division and infighting among the body of Christ and people angry at each other and won't speak to each other. The average Christian has their Christian worldview figured out less than the average non-Christian. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the Holy Spirit is present and active in the church today because I look around and where is the fruit? This is awful, right? Because God promised that when the Holy Spirit came, that he would change everything, that everything about us would be different, right? I mean, it wasn't just Jesus talking about that. But all of the Old Testament points to a time when the Messiah would come and then the Holy Spirit would be poured out on us. In fact, in fact, one of my favorite passages about this is written 800 years before it happened. 800 years before Jesus even walked the earth, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and described what that would look like, what would happen when the Holy Spirit is poured out. So there's this description that Isaiah gives us, and it's kind of some figurative language, but I want you to see it. He describes what it will be like right before the Holy Spirit is poured out, and then what it'll be like once the Holy Spirit is poured out. Here's what he says in Isaiah 32, 800 years before the Holy Spirit is poured out. He says, beat your breasts in sorrow for your bountiful farms and your fruitful grapevines. Be sorrowful for your land will be overgrown with thorns and briars. You won't have bountiful farms and grapevines anymore. It'll all be eaten up with thorns and briars. Your joyful homes and happy towns will be gone. The palace and the city will be deserted and busy towns will be empty. Diane, wild donkeys will frolic and flocks will graze in the empty forts and watchtowers. Oh, that sounds wonderful, right? Wild donkeys frolicking. No, think about it in this term. If you live in Kusawati, it's like the deer that frolic through your yard and they eat everything and they tear up everything. Am I right? The picture that the prophet is painting here is a picture of disorder, a picture of chaos, a picture of barrenness. The people of God are living in a pathetic state. They're supposed to live fulfilled, joyful, prosperous, purpose-filled lives of joy and peace. But instead, the prophet is describing a wilderness of desolation, of disorder, of chaos. So he's saying it'll kind of be chaotic and a mess until, he says, until the Spirit 
is poured out from on high. Now watch what happens. Once the Spirit is poured out on high and the wilderness will become a fruitful field, the field will be deemed a forest. The field will grow into a forest of fruit-bearing trees. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness will be quiet and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Huh? We'll go from this chaotic, disorderly mess of a disaster into this beautiful, peaceful, glorious situation where there will be trust, peace, quiet, peace. I love this phrase right here, this peaceful habitation phrase. I really kind of caught on to that, and I really wanted to look into what was going on there because you know the Hebrew word for peace. What is it? Come on, say it out loud. It's shalom. Shalom is the word for peace. And so I started looking into this phrase, peaceful habitation, and what I saw was it's this really his Hebrew phrase, nave shalom. Shalom. There it is right there. Shalom. Peace. We all know what peace means. We translate shalom as the word peace, but it's really the, the Hebrew idea for shalom is so much better than peace. I mean, it's peace, but it's so much more than just you know, there's no fighting. It's more than just the absence of conflict, but shalom is the presence of God and everything being in order and complete. I was reading about this. Just leave this up here for just a minute, Larry, if you would. I was reading uh, about a way that one particular author, uh, ancient author, uh, described what shalom really is. And here's what he says. He says, the Old Testament concept of shalom is the perfect interconnectedness together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural deeds are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. In other words, shalom is the way things ought to be. And Isaiah is saying that when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, we will live in shalom. We will live in the nave shalom. Nave means dwelling. It means place where you live. It means house. And Jesus says the way to deal with the storm coming is to build your nave, to build your house. And this house shalom, this place of peace, that's the kind of place you can stand in. 
That's the kind of place that gives you the power and the ability to stand when the storm is blowing its hardest. It's the place where you're not only able to endure the storm, but you don't worry about the storm. You're not scared of the storm. You're living in a place of peace. In fact, the next blank on your page is this. The Spirit's presence creates a place of prevailing, powerful peace. When the Spirit comes, there is peace that passes all understanding. Such peace. You won't fight. You won't lust. Such peace, you won't lack anything. You won't fear. You won't doubt. That's how prevalent and how powerful the peace of the Holy Spirit is. That's the house you can stand in. Am I right? That's the house that will not collapse. That's the house that you want to live in, that nave shalom, that dwelling place of peace. That's what you want all the time. I know because that's what you're trying to build, right? A lot of us wanted to get away from the rat race down in Atlanta or in Florida or wherever, and so we found a little hillside up near Ella J. <laughs> and we built the cabin of our dreams or we bought the house that we've been looking for and we wanted to get away from all the hustle and bustle, the crazy and insane. And we wanted to get away where the traffic is light and the people are friendly and the deer graze and eat everything we planted and we'll love every minute of it, right? We can't see our neighbors. We don't hear anything. It's just all we hear are the sounds of the woods and so we try to build our own place of peace and we work hard at it right we we do everything we can to create our own environment where there's no disorder there's no chaos there's no wild frolicking donkeys it's just our own place of peace problem is you're gonna just screw it all up you know that right the problem is the place of peace has you in the middle of it. And it's never gonna be what you need. I know, I've tried it myself. I've tried it myself. You know, I've got my own story of how the Holy Spirit changed me. There was a time years and years ago, this is back when we lived in Florida, and uh, I was much younger, much skinnier, and I had dark hair. And uh, we didn't have a daughter yet, but we had a son who was, uh, I don't know, I guess about a year old at the time. And um, Sherry and I had been married for several years, and, and I knew, I knew, Amy, that I had been called into ministry. I mean, I knew from a young age, I knew from like high school age, that God wanted me to be in ministry. You know, Steve, I was doing youth ministry for a long time, youth ministry, how I got white hair, youth ministry. Yeah, yeah, just about killed me. <laughs> so, I mean, I knew that's where I belonged, but I also knew that God doesn't pay in cash. 
He pays in a lot of other ways, but he doesn't pay in cash. And here I am trying to start a family, got a brand new young son, trying to make ends meet, pay the rent, got to pay for cars, got to buy gas, got to buy groceries, you know, all that stuff. And so, uh, you know, I didn't have enough money to do ministry. I didn't have, I didn't have all that. I, I, I knew God was calling me there, but dude, I had to take care of my family. So I tried to build the house. I tried to build the house on my own. I tried, to, I tried to work. I had this thing going where I had this little business where I was doing civil engineering contracting for uh, actual civil engineers. I was an engineer, but I was doing all their calculations and drafting and everything and uh, putting it all together. And so I, I had set up this little carport office. We had a carport a little bit separate from the house, had this little office in the back. And I had my desk all set up in there and, and I was working all the time, working all the time. I mean, it's just, it's, there's, not, there's not a lot of money in that either, but it's more than ministry. And so I was just working, 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 working. You remember those days? I was out in the little carport office day and night, morning, noon, and night. I'd be working all day, working all day, just frantically behind a big deadline that was coming up. You don't get paid if you don't meet your deadline. And so I'm working, working, working. I had a couch in there because I'd work till one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning and then I'd crash there in the office for a few hours and get up and get right back on it again. It was crazy. I was working day and night all the time, never stopping. Occasionally, I'd come into the house, you know, to, to get some coffee or to, to get some food, and we had a large back porch. You kind of go through the back porch to get into the carport office, and I would walk through the back porch, and oftentimes, my little one-year-old would be out on the big back porch, big screened-in back porch, and he'd want to play, but I didn't have time to play. I was working. I was trying to make ends meet. I'd go in the house, fix something to eat, go back out past my son. You know, he wants to play. I don't have time to play. And here I am working day and night, exhausted, didn't hardly have a relationship with my wife, barely even knew my young son. And one day she tells me, she tells me, she says, you know, you're not the guy I married. You know, I married the guy who was chasing God's plan for our lives, and I don't know where you've run off to, but this isn't it. And I told her, I said, somebody's got to take care of this family. And I want to do what God wants me to do, but God doesn't pay. So until we can figure that out, I'm going to keep doing this. I mean, I was headstrong. I had my face set on working hard all the time and better to not know my own family than to not provide for them. And this went on for a while. And we were all becoming more and more miserable. We were nothing but a group of wild donkeys frolicking. It was a mess. You've been there. You know what it's like. You're working your fingers to the bone to try to create that place of peace, and it's just not happening. One day, I was on my way to collect a check for an invoice. I had completed a project and I was going to collect a check and I was driving in South Orlando down Lake Margaret Drive, heading towards Cimarron Boulevard. Some of y'all probably know about where that is. 
So I'm driving down the road, and there on Lake Margaret Drive, the Holy Spirit came and got all over me. The Holy Spirit just inexplicably met me in that car on the way down Lake Margaret Drive and stopped me. I mean, stopped me like I literally was overcome with the Spirit and I had to pull over off the road on the side of the road. I had to stop in the grass. There was grass there at that time. And I, and I pulled over. I'm like, what is going on? The, the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me, moving in me. And he said, Steve, I want you to open your Bible. And I said, God, I don't, I don't have a Bible. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I reached over in the glove compartment and there was one of these little red Gideon New Testaments. You ever seen these? It's a little bitty one just like this. And God told me, he said, I want you to open up to Psalm 127. And I said, God, Psalms is in the Old Testament. Hate to break it to you, but this New Testament also had Psalms and Proverbs. And honestly, I didn't even know if there was a Psalm 127. I had no idea, but I opened my Bible and I found Psalm 127. And he told me to read it. And back then my eyeballs were much younger and I really can't hardly read it here, so I put it up here on the screen for us. Here's what the Holy Spirit told me that day on the side of the road in Orlando. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He said to me, he said, Steve, you are killing yourself for nothing. He said, it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And then it goes on and it says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And I'm bawling my eyes out on the side of the road in Orlando because the Holy Spirit has just come to me and he has just told me, I'm changing everything in your life. He told me right there in the vehicle, he said, from this day forward, I'm done with you chasing after all your everything else. You're just making a mess of your life. And he told me, he told me right there on the side of the road, he says, you're done. You're never gonna collect another dollar from this civil engineering thing that you've done. I had kind of a Jonah moment. He said, you're done with that. You're gonna obey me or nothing. And, and you know my response. When the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to you, what's your answer? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I finally, on the side of the road, I got over the moment. I drove on to collect that check. 
And um, that was in 1994, and I still have never collected that check. I've still never collected another dollar from any of that civil engineering stuff. And two weeks later, I had an interview to become the youth pastor at Aloma Baptist Church in Winter Park, Florida, where I met John and Terry Williams and had their kids in our youth ministry program and have never looked back, have never looked back because all of a sudden, come on, amen. Because all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and when he begins to do the work of reordering your life, when he pours himself out into you, all of the chaos, all the things that you frantically worry about, the things that you think you have to take care of and provide for, he's like, no, I got this, I got this. He brings order, he brings peace, he brings fruit, and he brings blessings like I could never even begin to describe. I'm not sitting here telling you that we got into ministry and became millionaires. But what I'm telling you is we got into ministry, we got into following God's plan for our lives because of the Spirit moving, and the result is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It results in a power to be able to stand uh, when the storms blow. And I'm telling you, you can't build that on your own strength. You can't do that on your own. Uh, you can't even love God, love others, and make disciples on your own strength. Standing on the rock absolutely requires the empowerment, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, next blank on your page, you can't but only he can. You can't, only he can. If you want to live in the place of peace, if you want to experience your nave shalom, it's through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Stop fighting. Stop working at it. Stop trying to build it. You've done that before. You should know better by now because you were a victim in this war, right? You were a casualty of war at one point because you were on the wrong side of the battle. At one point, you were a casualty because really you were standing in line with the enemy of God, the accuser of God, and you were co-accusing God of not being worthy of being God. You were born a traitor siding with the enemy of God and that made you spiritually dead. You had no life of your own because you were apart from him. But you remember what Jesus did for you? Jesus the giver of life, life himself. He got up from the throne beside his father and came to earth and he went to the cross and on the cross he died for your sins. He took the punishment of all the traitors on himself. God punished his own son like he should have punished you. He took your punishment in death but then he rose again from the dead to give you new, abundant, powerful, peaceful, spirit-filled life.
And now in Christ, you are no longer a victim, but you've been rescued. You've been forgiven. You've been washed clean. You've been set free. You're no longer an enemy of God, but now you belong to the king. You are his, a co-heir with Christ to the throne. Instead of being a victim, now you're a soldier in this war. Now you are fighting on the side of the army of light invading this dark world. That's who you are today. This isn't about your particular set of theological beliefs. You may believe a little differently than I do about some things. You may sit on a little bit of a different side than I do on some things. It's not about your particular theological beliefs. It's not about how often you attend church. This is a war. And you and I are constantly fighting battles for life and death. We're fighting for our children, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for your customers, your clients, for your loved ones, and it's life and death for you as well. Jesus says in John 14, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can not receive him. This is a really important point. The world can not receive him. If you are not in Christ, you can not have the Holy Spirit in you. The world cannot receive him because the world isn't looking for him. And it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Right, so in Ephesians, Paul writes, and he says, so put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be, here it is, you will be standing firm. After the battle is over, you will not have fallen, you will be standing firm. So he says, stand your ground, stand your ground. How do you stand? By putting on the belt of truth, by putting on the body armor of God's righteousness, by putting on the shoes of, that are of peace that come from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put in as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, the offensive weapon that the Holy Spirit empowers in your life, which is the Word of God. Hang on to that. Be all about that. That's your offensive weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. And pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. What this is all saying is that we're in this battle. We're in this fight. It's a life and death fight. It's a spiritual fight. And the next blank on your page, we fight and we build with Holy Spirit power tools. 
All right? I mean, they're not just, you know, 18-volt battery rechargeable power tools. They're Holy Spirit power tools. That's the way we build, and that's the way we fight. And that's what this series is going to be all about. It's about understanding who the Spirit is and how He works in your life. My call to you is to be a person of the Spirit. I think that He's been absent in our lives long enough. And I don't think that he wants to be absent. I just think we get all caught up in trying to build our own nave. And we're building a nice little dwelling, but it's not a nave shalom. And I believe what he wants for you, Diane, is to get rid of the wild running donkeys. And he wants you to have a peace, a place of peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That's what he wants for you. Do you want that for your own life? Do you want that? Do you want that to be your house? My challenge for you is to be in on this series over the next several weeks as we learn, last blank on your page, to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit together. 